0: Can I touch her? Yeah, you can touch her.
1: I am touching a naked, life-sized, and incredibly lifelike sex doll. Wow. That's the weirdest thing. This is our strangest success yet. Welcome to Strange Success. I'm Jane Wells. This CNBC podcast takes you behind the scenes of some of the most popular, weird products in America. And the stories behind these businesses are often even more bizarre. This week's episode is a doozy. It's also for mature audiences only and probably not safe for work. It's about Matt McMullen, the 48-year-old creator of The Real Doll, the most popular sex doll ever made. You may have seen one in the film, Lars and the Real Girl. Real dolls come in several varieties, which we'll get to, and sales top $2 million a year. Who buys them? How real are they? And how did a nice guy from San Diego end up in a business like this? I found the answers to those questions inside a nondescript industrial park in northern San Diego County. This is where real dolls are made. And when we approached the front door, I saw through the tinted glass a female receptionist behind the counter. She ignored me repeatedly as I tried to get her attention to let me in. Hello? I kept tapping the door and shouting, hello. hello." Um, it finally dawned on me she wasn't real. She was one of the real dolls. I felt like an idiot falling for what must be a running gag there. Eventually, though, a real human did hear me knocking, let me in, and introduced me to Matt McMullen.
0: These teeth are actually removable. Can I Um, touch them? Yeah, they're rubber. Okay, yeah. For safety reasons.
1: McMullen is in his studio showing me parts of his dolls. I then asked him what exactly it is that he does and the story of how he came to do it.
0: I make um, life-size posable, silicone anatomically correct dolls. Why? That's a lot of description. <laughs> Why? Um, well, it kind of uh, is a combination of artistic drive and circumstance. Um, through, you know, kind of doing what I did creatively, I kind of fell into doing this because the public reaction to some of my earlier work, which was more like mannequins, was basically. You should make this into a usable sex toy, so I kind of went with it. Well, I was always uh, very artistically inclined uh, when I was younger and spent a lot of time doodling, drawing. Um, consequently, a lot of um, you know nudes, females. So I was really drawn to the to the whole like um, anatomy and the the form of the human body. Um, but I started doing sculpture, and it was kind of a natural thing for me as far as a medium goes to, to sculpt. After doing a bunch of smaller figures uh, that were about 12 to 18 inches tall, I decided I wanted to do a life size piece. Um, and a big part of my idea was I didn't want it to be like a hard material. I wanted it to be soft and poseable and have a skeleton and, and I thought Wouldn't it be cool to make this very realistic-looking mannequin that could be put into different positions? And I was really kind of just tinkering in my garage at the time, building, you know, what I thought was just this crazy art project.
1: A crazy art project. He made a skeleton out of PVC pipe and covered it with a body made out of silicone. Now, this was in the late 90s, like 96 or 97, and the internet was catching on. Back in the days of Netscape and AltaVista. Google those, kids, because they were pre-Google.
0: And I had gotten my first computer, and I had set up this little member's webpage on AOL. And somehow, um, you know, in posting photos, somehow people were finding it, because all of a sudden I was getting all these emails. Um, for people who were fascinated with this life-sized posable doll that I made. Hey, can can I buy one of those? But is it anatomically correct?
1: That first doll was not anatomically correct. McMullen just made it for art. But then he thought, maybe I can make some money here.
0: As odd as it sounds, when I first made these dolls, they, they weren't to me a sex toy. So crossing that bridge was, was kind of a, a big thing. You know, like, well, all right. And then I just had to come up with this list of things like, what do I need to do to make this perform as a sex toy the best way possible? You know, you start thinking, okay, well, it needs to feel soft and it needs to be durable. So those two things don't always work together. Um, softer materials tend to tear easy, uh, more easily and uh, harder materials are more durable, but nobody wants a doll that feels like a Michelin tire. So, we're constantly, you know, kind of weighing out, well, if we go this soft, what can we do to offset it? And so that's, that's really one of the bigger challenges is, is getting the feel and the functionality to work together. That being said, it's not rocket science. I mean, the sex toys have been around forever. So, <laughs> you know, if you make something shaped like this and it feels like that, it's probably going to work pretty well.
1: Were you uh, customer zero, so to speak?
0: Um, there were, yes, there were initial tests uh, when, I, when I more or less decided, yes, I'm going to make this into a sex doll. Um, there was the obvious, you know, testing that had to happen as far as, is this part going to work? Is that part going to work? So I did volunteer myself early on. Um, again, I was really working alone at that point. So I guess I can use that as my excuse, but <laughs> all in all, it wasn't painful. So. When I started, I actually borrowed some money from my parents to buy my first drum of silicone. And um, I think I had a a credit card that had like $5,000 on it. And I used that to buy my first uh, vacuum chamber, which we need that to suck all the air bubbles out of the silicone. We started actually producing the dolls in in about 97.
1: And what were first-year revenues?
0: Well, we started with, I had literally one or two models. That was it. And so I think we sold maybe in the first year, maybe 20, and that was it. But again, I was working out of my garage. Um, I didn't, I had one person helping me, and it was a very small scale. And I think, you know, we, we made maybe, or something the first year selling the dolls, selling some other little pieces that I was doing and to me that was huge I mean I was like wow I've totally totally made the big time here. Pricing it was was a little challenging because I didn't know where to start so I really just analyzed how many hours I thought it would take. I analyzed the materials that I was using and I think like with anybody starting a business, you kind of underestimate a lot of stuff. So it became quickly apparent that, hey, I think I might be charging too little for this. But I mean, at the time I was thinking, three, $4,000 seems like a lot of money. I don't see how people are gonna wanna buy these. But lo and behold, they did. And, and just when I thought, you know, these must be the only 10 people on the planet that want this, there was 10 more. So it just, kind of took off pretty quick. Going from the garage to where we are now, there were a lot of, you know, bumps along the way and growing pains and all of that because we obviously needed more space. All of a sudden we needed employees. All of a sudden you have to start thinking on a bigger scale. And so it's sometimes very challenging to take what was a one-man operation and translating it into something that can be mass produced.
1: Inside the facility where the dolls are made now, there is a showroom, also a factory with vats of silicone and freshly made doll bodies hanging to dry. There's a workroom where add-ons are made, including a wall of dozens of different styles of nipples. It's a little shocking at first. And then the studio where faces are put on the heads.
0: I am the sculptor of almost all the faces.
1: What are the eyes
0: made of? Um, these are just acrylic eyes. Uh, and we're actually now making our own eyes.
1: The faces look almost real. There is an intentional hint of falsehood in the doll's look, but only a hint. Do you ever get fooled? Is there ever one that you walk by that you thought for oh, a Oh,
0: yeah, all the time. It, it usually happens because we have we have dolls standing all over the place here. So what happens is sometimes I'll move one, change her clothes, move her over here, Put this one here. So whenever I do one of those little shuffles, it always happens to me like for the week after that, I'll jump a little bit when I come around the corner.
1: (laughs) The average doll is five foot five and weighs about 80 pounds, light enough to pick up and move around, heavy enough to feel real. Customers choose among body types, heads, faces, skin tones, nipples, gender. The doll's private parts are removable for cleaning and McMullen makes male dolls too, which account for 10 to 15% of sales.
0: And we also have a, a gender converter. So someone could actually put a penis on a female doll if they so desire.
1: He sells three to 500 dolls a
0: year. I think the heart, the biggest challenge and probably the most important aspect of making the dolls is the, the detailing, the finishing work. Um, you know, when they come out of the mold, they're just very monotone, they're one color. And so we need artists to go in and detail all the wrinkles, put in little you know, imperfections like freckles, beauty marks, things like that, um, do the makeup on the face, draw each hair of the eyebrows. So there's, there's a tremendous amount of work that, that goes into each doll. Um, in fact, the single greatest expense in making these dolls is labor. We push really hard to keep everything we do made in America, which sometimes means more expensive. But I think it's one of those things that I've, you know, getting older I start to kind of look at big picture stuff and I think it's important that that we have as much of our dolls made in America as possible. So right now we probably spend about 3500 to make a doll with labor, overhead, materials, and the whole thing. We could probably do it for less than half of that in another country somewhere, but I prefer to do it here.
1: The first few years, McMullen was able to self-fund the business by using customer deposits to buy materials and putting all profits back into his company, which he named Abyss Creations. But as demand for real dolls increased, he borrowed money to grow.
0: There comes times where all of a sudden we needed to re-engineer the skeleton and we're looking at $200,000 in, in engineering and development and getting all of the tools made that we need for that. So those kinds of occasions inevitably bring you to the point of needing to get a loan.
1: How do you explain to the bank what you're getting a loan for?
0: Um, that's a tricky one to, to explain what we do when you're talking to someone at a bank, but thankfully a lot of times people go, oh my God, I've heard of your dolls. Those things are amazing. And sometimes it works to our benefit. Other well, times I can be very vague, like, well, I, you know, we do manufacturing. We make, um, you know, art, we make mannequins and just leave it at that.
1: The average doll sells for six grand, though custom orders can run into the tens of thousands of dollars.
0: We've done some really cool characters from, from movies. I don't know if I'm allowed to say <laughs> who they are, um, but they were, you know, they were one of a kind dolls that were made for someone's collection. And so those, those are always cool. You know, like very sci-fi, um skin colors and custom heads you know that really make the doll one of a kind those are always fun to do and we've also made replicas of people um, individuals who come to us and either want a doll made of themselves or a loved one maybe someone who passed away their wife something like that oh
1: but like if someone came to you and said i want angelina jolie
0: well if someone said i want angelina jolie we would not do that um, but we would be able to make a doll that resembled her. We sell to almost everyone. It's, it's a, a very common question for people to ask, well, what kind of people buy these dolls? It's just a little bit of everybody. I mean, we get married couples. We get a guy who saved his money for three years. We get a guy who has four. We have, you know, people who come um, together, a husband and wife, who want a doll. Um, we get photographers, we get painters who want to use them, you know, to pose and use as a, as a sort of a model for their art.
1: How many sales are international?
0: I would say probably 25% of our sales are international. And that's pretty evenly spread all over the globe. A lot of people would say, oh, China or Japan must be huge. It's, it's really spread out.
1: The dolls are delivered in a box and include a wall hook for storage.
0: The maintenance is really pretty easy i think the the biggest thing is storage like where you're storing it when when you're not you know using it for whatever you're using it for Um, it should be hung up i have customers have had the same doll for 12 years
1: matt mcmullen also makes and sells dolls for non-sexual purposes like nurse and firefighter training or forensic investigators even the military he has sold dolls to celebrities though he can't name names He's also developed new product lines like the phoenix dolls, petite creatures which are lighter and easier to move around. They look a little bit cartoonish, like Japanese anime. What have been the requests you've turned down? I'm assuming someone asked you to make a child.
0: Yeah, we've had people ask to make children, animals. um, I mean, use your imagination, we've probably heard it. Um, And you know, those are things that we just politely refuse to do.
1: What do you say to people who say, this is sick?
0: Um, I, if people look at, sometimes look at the dolls or the concept of the dolls or the people that buy the dolls and say, oh, that's sick, then, you know, then don't look at it. I, I very strongly believe that these dolls can be therapeutic for certain people. Um, we have uh, quite a few people who have written to us after having had their doll. It might be right away when they get it. It might be three, three months later. But we get a lot of these letters saying the same thing, which is this doll changed my life for the better. Um, you know, people saying I was depressed, I didn't want to go home after work. I, I just I was uninspired. I had you know just didn't feel like um, like I was very motivated and somehow having the doll and the presence of the doll in their house kind of uplifted them. We as human beings really need each other. Um, we need relationships we need we need to feel that. Not only that someone cares about us, but that we get to care for someone. And I think a, a lot of people who end up buying dolls get to satisfy some of those feelings in, in a, a simulation kind of sense. They, they feel like they're caring for someone because they're caring for this doll. And that's something that they weren't able to do. Um, a lot can be said for people who who end up getting a lot of pets for the same reasons. Because they're there and they're Requiring attention, requiring care, does a lot for our own state of mind, I think. So I think it's a good thing. And, I, and not to say that every home in America should have one of these, um, but I think a lot of people can benefit from them. I think they can be, even if it's for a year or two while you're going through a grieving process, or you know who knows what this person might be going through, I think the doll, can be a therapeutic distraction. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, there are such worse things going on in the world than than what we're doing here, so.
1: Does it ever make it hard to recruit talent? No. What did your parents think? You borrowed money from them to do this.
0: Um, I think my parents came to terms with my slight quirks when I was still pretty young, so I don't think it surprised them. Um, If anything, I think they were pretty proud of me that I was able to take uh, something that, you know, in a field as in a field like art in general, it's very hard to make money to be successful, and so it, it's kind of like if you don't find a, a little niche for your work that hasn't been filled, then you're up against so much competition. So somehow I, I found that little niche for my art, and I think my parents were proud of me for that.
1: Matt McMullen is not yet done with his art or his science. When we first spoke, he was just beginning to engineer robotics into the dolls.
0: I'm, I'm really hoping that we can make this fully animatronic head that will be connectable to any existing doll.
1: He's tried a lot of different technical advances and not all of them have worked out.
0: We were installing sensors in the doll's body so that when you touch different spots, she would make different sounds. And it was it was fine, it was cool, but the problem was It had this long cable that had to plug into a computer, and you needed to keep, you know, certain parts of the head dry. And there was all these little things about it, and the fact that she didn't move. So she wasn't moving, she was just making sounds. And it became very quickly apparent that, hey, she needs to move, we need some some other stuff going on. So that worked well by itself for a while.
1: He's learned a lot along the way, and now Real Doll has a working model of an animatronic head which can attach to any doll body with a moving mouth and the ability to talk through an app. Her name is Harmony, and she has a Scottish accent.
0: How do you feel about sex? Sex is one of the most fascinating things in the world. I don't think there is anything wrong with it.
1: Harmony hits the market this summer, and the company is taking pre-orders. The head costs $2,000 plus an annual $20 subscription to the app. The doll body is extra. The company expects Harmony will boost Real Dolls' 2018 sales to nearly three million dollars.
0: We're researching all these different things. We have heating, self lubrication. Um, we're working on how can we make her even breathe.
1: Matt McMullen never planned on building a sex doll empire, but he certainly has no problem with it. What's been tougher at times is learning how to manage the real people who make the real dolls. That's an art of its own.
0: Running a company is is much more challenging than I think a lot of people realize, just in the business sense. And, you know, kind of balancing that that core product, which is art, and which is a very creative endeavor with the very logical black and white side of, of running a company and having employees. So I think that, if anything, I've learned more than than anything else is just being able to balance those two worlds.
1: He prefers sitting in his studio, creating these creatures.
0: I wanna do one with, like, imperfect teeth, because, you know, imperfection is my thing I just feel like this, like, I wanna make something, like, a little off.
1: Are there any that you've fallen in love with?
0: No. It's like someone who paints, you know, I, I'm no more broken up to see a doll go than a painter would to sell a painting. I, I don't know. I, this is like a sandbox to me. So it's just fun.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of CNBC's Strange Success. It's the final story of our first season. And what a note to end on. Please check out previous episodes covering the unusual backstories behind products like the Squatty Potty, the My Pillow, or something called Hangover Heaven. I'm Jane Wells, and Strange Success was written and produced by me with help from producers Candace Goldman, Janice Pettit, and Ellen Eageth. Editing and Mixing by Candace Goldman. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify as we begin deciding what strange successes to profile in season two.
0: The first thing they do is stick their finger right in her mouth.
1: It's going to be hard to top season one. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.